Mac Power Users, episode 622, Exploring HomeKit with Shane Watley. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett. I'm joined as always by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hey, Stephen. How are you today? I am great. How are you? That's the question. I, I am. I'm. I am so happy. I. Uh, I, w- I just want to take a minute to thank everyone. You know, we recorded that show last week before this stuff went out, and um, I woke up on announcement day to a ton of congratulatory email from Mac Power users, listeners, and a bunch of you signed up for the Mac Sparky Labs, and I, I appreciate that. Man, I'm like a new man. I don't know what to say, how to say it. It's like it's sinking into me that I am not obligated to deal with clients. And it's like I'm kind of giddy about it. I, I Man, I'm just so happy. <laughs> and I uh, I think I've got something I can do here to uh, with Max Sparky. So I've already got a bunch of labs content going out. And I'm just hearing all of these touching emails from listeners. You guys are the best. And Thank you all for kind of helping me through this transition. It's, I'm like a beautiful butterfly, Stephen. That's what I am. That's often how I think about you. Yeah, I know. I know a lot of people say that. <laughs> uh, well, we have a, a very special guest today. Uh, for a while, we've been wanting to talk about HomeKit and really get into the weeds of Apple's smart home platform. And we've come across Shane's uh, YouTube channel, his content, and thought, hey, let's put these things together. So Shane, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. And David, congratulations, too. Got to say that. Very Thank cool. Thank you, Shane. Yeah. No, it's it's exciting. And I expect you're not far behind me because you make some great stuff. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Shane uh, has got the, the YouTube channel, Shane Creates, and he focuses on HomeKit. Um, not exclusively, but largely. And, you know, when we're doing the prep call, Shane's like, well, I'm, you know, not so great at video production, all that. He's amazing at it, guys. He puts together these great videos <laughs> that are super instructional. And I am a subscriber now and I watch everything he makes because it's just so helpful to figure out how to use HomeKit. And one of the reasons we wanted to do this show was because a lot of people have got to HomeKit level one. And by that, I mean, you bought a plug and you're able to turn your Christmas tree lights on, or you may be able to make a lamp turn on when you get home at night, but you don't know where to go next. And Apple really doesn't make it that easy to get to level two, but Shane has worked up to level five and we're going to try and ramp the show up so we can start with the basics and get you to the advanced stuff. And Shane's going to be our Sherpa. So, so thank you, Shane. All right, let's do it. Uh, before we do that, you know, because you're on the Mac Power Users, we got to talk a little bit about your gear. All right. Yeah. So right now um, I'm using uh, primarily MacBook Pro 13 inch uh, M1 and I've got an ultra wide monitor, standing desk and um, kind of just I've tried to over the past year primarily get my setup kind of optimized for recording video so I can kind of just shoot quicker and easier. And then, of course, edit as well. Yeah, isn't that the key? And we're going to actually go into Shane's video workflow and more power users today. So we're going to have a lot more on that later. But uh, just to step back for a minute. So you uh, you went to Apple Silicon. I did, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I was in need of an upgrade uh, a while back and I just couldn't wait any longer. So I jumped in and got the M1 MacBook Pro 13 inch and I've been very happy with it so far. Okay. And and you're doing 4K video production, right? I mean, your your videos are 4K, aren't they? Yep, they are. Yes, yeah. sir. So just to be clear and... Um, if my wife is listening right now, I'm going to ask her to go, you know, feed the dog because I don't <laughs> want her to hear this, but you can do a 4k video production on the standard M1 MacBook. You don't need the MacBook pro really to do it. I mean, what, how is it going with, in terms of like your render times and just the, the process in general? Um, all that has definitely improved a lot. Like I said, I was in need of an up, update, uh, or an upgrade, I should say. So, but yeah, the render times all that, of course, it's going to depend on how many effects and kind of things like that you got in there. Um, but it has all, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty snappy. So. <laughs> okay. Hopefully Daisy isn't listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> you no, know, you need the six. No, you don't need the 16 inch. Um, so you mentioned that you're a, an ultra wide monitor user. Uh, ultra wide users always fascinate me because I, to be fair, I haven't tried it. But I know it comes with uh, a lot of benefit, and I would imagine uh, doing the type of work you do, you're having a timeline and a bin and all that stuff is handy. But what drew you to mm-hmm. the ultra-wide lifestyle to begin with? Sure. Well, uh, actually, um, what got me into it at first was my day job. So during COVID, you know, the quarantine stuff, I actually worked from home for, I want to say it was around 10 months and during that time, I brought a lot of my equipment from the office at, to the house. Um, and I had just started using an ultrawide monitor there not too long before that. Um, and so just kind of getting into the habit of using it for my day job. Um, I just, you know, I do also do video editing and stuff uh, f- for my day job. And so having that just like you said, you know, the timeline where I can stretch across, it's just, it's really nice. And, uh, I kind of got hooked because of that. And when I was looking for a new Mac and trying to decide what I wanted to do there. And when I got the M one, uh, I decided to go ahead and get me an ultra wide just to kind of supplement that. And that way I can still be portable and take the, uh, the, you know, the laptop with me somewhere if I wanted to, um, but I do keep it pretty much at my desk and uh, keep it connected to that ultra ride. In fact, what I do usually is I'll, I have the um, the ultra wide on an, on a uh, on a monitor arm and then I keep my MacBook Pro underneath it kind of and I use that. I keep it open and I use that as an additional monitor. So I have my ultra wide with all my video editing uh, timelines and all my panels and stuff up there. And then a lot of times underneath, I'll keep that for either research or I actually have a lot of my bins and stuff like that underneath where I can kind of click and drag and move things around. So, yeah, that that's really nice. Like I'm using an iPad similarly under the monitor and one power tip here is you've got to go into the display setting and actually locate that external monitor underneath your main monitor so you can mouse to it very easily. But I find it really useful to have like a reference screen below my main screen. I I'm with you hundred percent on that. But one thing I've always wondered about if I, and like Steven, I've not worked with one of these wide monitors. 
window management. I mean, if you have that widescreen, how, like, how do you do email and like web browsing and stuff? Do you have like a system for that? Uh, well, there are a few ways uh, you can automate some stuff. Uh, but one real simple thing, I can't remember who turned me on to this one, but there's an app called, uh, I think it's called Magnet. I'm not sure if you've heard of that, uh, but it kind of does sort of like what Windows does. So it allows you to just snap windows to the sides and to the top and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and there's there's also another one. I can't remember the name of it because I haven't used it in a while where you can actually set like predefined uh, window management. Probably I wish Moon, I could remember the maybe. Name maybe that might be it yeah that sounds right but um but yeah so i i kind of do that and um you know for my video editing you know that's what i spend most of my time doing on there and uh i just uh you know i have my my layout kind of pre-configured and premiere pro is what i actually use and so i just open it up and everything's ready to go and as far as you know, browsing and stuff. If I'm using the large monitor up top, I'll usually just snap it to one side, use up half the half the screen or something like that. Yeah. Well, I I if I had one of those, I would waste like two days on window management. I just don't know that I'd be able to help myself. You know. Yeah. It it takes a little getting used to for sure. You got to figure out a good a good flow that works for you. The the other thing you have that's interesting is a you're using a NAS drive. You've got a Synology. Um, uh, which one did you get and and where are you using it um i have the ds920 plus i believe and um i have it it's connected to my router so i have you know i'm connected to it wirelessly and i primarily just use it for backup um you know over the years all the video files and stuff really add up um, and I'm also using it for like, it's, you know, I got my Plex media server on there so I can watch all my, a whole huge library of DVDs from back in the day that I, uh, I kind of moved over to the Synology so I can watch all those from the Apple TV if I want to. Um, but aside from that, just using it for storage, um, kind of archive all my old, you know, videos and footage there and I can pull from it if I need to pretty easily. Stephen, where are you on NAS drives? Are you, do you have one? I did it for a long time. I had a Synology and eventually moved to a Drobo hanging off a Mac Mini. But with the Mac Pro, I've gotten everything internal to the machine. And so for now, at least, everything is just nice and neat inside my computer. Yeah, you know, I just went through this whole process where I was thinking about like, do I need a NAS drive and like looking at how much do they cost? They're they're a lot less expensive than they used to be, and they're better, obviously. But then I also looked at, you know, internal drives are getting big enough where like I've got my whole data profile basically down to three terabytes. And then I have like one terabyte of like old stuff that I probably want to keep around. And, and it helps for me because the kids got older. So like all the old, you know, ripped um, DVDs, I don't need anymore because they're mm-hmm. not they're not going to watch, you know, Barbie Christmas. So I uh, I'll, I just trashed all that stuff and I just kept the the key pieces I need. And so I think I'm OK, because the nice thing, if you can get under four terabytes, you can get very inexpensive you know, um, uh, hub, uh, I'm sorry, uh, cable based K 
cable powered. What is the word I'm looking for? Uh, like uh, bus powered? Bus powered. Yeah, I knew that it involved some kind of vehicle. But anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, bus powered drives are like 100 bucks. You can make a bunch of copies of all your data. I've got like one at the sister-in-law's house and I've got everything. And then what I do is I put the extra terabyte. I bought a two terabyte SSD and and just attached it to the back nicely, Stephen. It's not it's not like the monstrosity I used to have. And um, I'm able to um, then back that up to Backblaze. So I've got kind of a, I kind of redid the system, but the trick for me was getting under four terabytes. And then I didn't, I realized I didn't need to deal with the extra overhead of a, of a NAS drive. But like, yeah. you know, in, in Shane's case, you're dealing with video, not only for your YouTube channel, but also your work. So my guess is you've probably got a ton of files. Yeah. Well, that's all separate. So the work stuff doesn't, um, I, I don't, you know, store any of that here. Uh, I actually have a, a separate space and drive that I archive all that kind of stuff for work. But yeah, uh, I actually did used to use Backblaze too. You mentioned that. Um, but now just, um, I just use the the Synology and, and, you know, I used to have some old drives that I would, you know, have to plug in and back up all my, you know, where it's where I archived all of my old 4k stuff, but, yeah. um, you know, it's, Sometimes I'll be, you know, I'm editing a video, say today, and I'm referencing, you know, maybe a, a product or something that I used a year ago with the Synology. I can just, you know, pull right from it without having to go find that drive and all kind of stuff. So uh, it's definitely good if you're dealing with a whole lot of large files like that over time. Well, you know, and that that was another decision I made. And I know that a bunch of video people that listen to the show are going to cringe right now. But I just decided, you know, I'm shooting all these 4K videos now between what Daisy and I do at Disneyland and the Max Barkey stuff. And, you know, honestly, YouTube Max Barkey is going to get even bigger now that I'm just doing this. But I just decided once I publish a video, I'm just going to trash the project. I'm keeping the final video and I'm not keeping anything else. Mm. And... um you know, for me, I think that's fine. Um, uh, I'm not like doing it the way you are and, um, I'm not at your level, but, but that makes it a manageable storage situation for me. And like, I just, I remember when we first started podcasting, I would keep all the source files and I could fill up like terabytes and terabytes of recordings of me and Steven or me and Katie, like, you know, yakking about menu bar items. And I'm like, what am I doing? You know, once the show publishes, do we ever need this stuff again? <laughs> you know, yeah. Steve, do, Steven, does that, that get you mad when you hear that I'm doing that? No. I mean, I okay, keep, good. I keep <laughs> a short buffer of stuff, but yeah. after uh, something has been published for a month or so, the, the edit files go away for me too. Yeah. That that's the trick, honestly, is managing because we get into video. That man, that is a data hungry game. So I get why you've got the NAS. Anyway, I I, I do wonder, like for, for people listening, like at what point, if you're just like running a family or a small business, do you need a NAS drive? And it really comes up to how hungry you are for data. Like, well, like, and and as a bonus, sorry to sure. uh, to interrupt, but uh, as a little bonus, you can also do some fun stuff on there, like uh, installing Homebridge on your NAS too. Yeah, which, which we for, can we can get into later. But uh, yeah. that, that's something else I've I've used my Synology for. Yeah, it does, and it gives you like extra options. That's right. And I like I recently yep. heard from a radiologist listener who's like got these massive files, and he needs a bunch of storage. So you know, it just depends on where you're at. Yeah. One other thing you did, uh, Shane, you did a video on your website about your iPad, and you did the coolest thing, I think. Um, 
you made a wall-mounted iPad, and we're going to link that video in the show notes. But just tell us the story about how you decided to stick an iPad on your wall. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I did that a while back. It's been, what, probably almost two years or something like that since I first uh, put that up. But um, I, you know, I just I just thought it would be cool. So I did it. I had an extra iPad, you know, an old iPad laying around that really wasn't getting any use. Um, we we just as HomeKit users, uh, we don't have any like home hub kind of, well, I shouldn't say home hub, like a home display type of hub, you know, like, like you have the Google, I think it's called the Google max hub. And then of course there's the Amazon ones. Uh, So I said, well, let me just put this up here and see how this works out. And I also kind of thought it would be a good way for my family to interact with the smart home, you know, give them kind of a display where they can go up and touch all the, you know, lights and turn things on and off that way. That way they wouldn't have to remember, you know, the Siri commands or whatever. Um, That didn't end up being the case. (laughs) They never use it. I'm the only one that uses it, but it's still up there and uh, I, I still like having it. It's a nice little addition until Apple gives us something kind of designed, you know, specifically for that use case. Uh, it works. Yeah, it would be cool if we had like a home pod with like a home kit screen on it where you could like manage your home kit stuff, but also get music or I don't know, do something cool with it. But yeah, yeah. I yeah. keep hoping that uh I you know, I'm thinking one day they'll they'll release something like that, but we'll see. Now how did you get power to the because you're gonna have to you're not gonna pull it down and charge it. So how'd you do that? Right. Yeah. Well, I'm actually lucky because where I installed it, there is an outlet right on the other side of the wall. So I may, I was able just to punch right through. Um, okay. Didn't have to run through the wall or anything. So yeah, location is, um, there's, there's actually some, uh, power over ethernet adapters and things like that you can buy too. If you do have to run, you know, through walls and, um, the, uh, the company where I bought that mount, I think it was called Vitabox or Vitamount, something like that. Uh, it's linked in that video. It should be. Um, but they sell different adapters and things like that for running power also, if that's if that's something you need. Now, how do you set up a home screen on a wall-mounted iPad? I mean, how do you decide what's going to show up when you tap it? Well, um, that's interesting. I've gone through many different uh, tri- trials there. I've tried different apps. Um, for a while I was really liking one of the apps called home plus for the display. Uh, there's some other ones. None of them really honestly are great as kind of a home dashboard type of thing, which is what I really wanted. I ended up falling back on the home app. Uh, and I've been using that primarily for a long time, ever since they gave us, uh, I can't remember was iOS 14 or 15 or iPad OS 15, 14, maybe where they gave us a little sidebar there that shows all the rooms on the iPad. Um, so since they added that, it's a lot more functional to run that, um, kind of all the time right there. You can jump to different rooms pretty easily on the iPad. And there's also another thing I've been toying with lately, which I'm going to bring to the channel very soon, probably in the next week or two. And there's an app that you can actually design your uh, your own 100% custom dashboard. You can you actually design it on the computer, and then there's like a companion app that you run on the iPad, and you can create pretty much your own designs and dashboards. Uh, so I've been 
kind of into that lately. All right, you, you got to tell us the name of that app. What is that app? It's called Viz, V-I-Z Designer. Okay. And it's something, uh, like I said, I've been toying with for the past, you know, few weeks, past month maybe, and uh, working on some designs and looking looking forward to bringing that to the channel. I think that a lot of people are going to, are going to like that. So that's cool. Like make your own UI. Yep, exactly. Yeah. You can do a lot with it. You guys will, you guys will really like it. You can, uh, you can put HTML in there. You can do a whole lot with it. So it's, uh, it's been pretty fun to explore. Well, I, I love the idea of like an iPad as like a status board, you know, and I have toyed with the idea of mounting one on the wall too. I mean, they're, they aren't that expensive, you know, I mean, really, even if you just, you can get a used one for probably a hundred bucks and that'll last you years. So as long as you can find a way to power it, but I just like, I just can't quite get my head around what I do with it. And I know that my family would never touch it. I just know that. But like, I was thinking like you could make it a music center, like you could have it so you could, you know, play your favorite music. But then with the iPhone in your pocket, it's really hard to get past how easy it is just to do it on the iPhone. You know, that's the yeah. When I first installed it, uh, when I first put it up, I would put uh, Apple Music. I'd put the Apple Music interface on there when I'd have company over. I'd kind of, you know, instead of everybody trying to hook up their phones, you know, everybody wants to play their music. I would just tell them to go over there and play whatever they want. So it was kind of cool for a while, you know, in that use case. But I kind of got past the wow factor um, with that. And I don't really use it that way anymore either. So. Years ago, I wrote an automator script. We had a family party and I had an iMac downstairs and I wrote a thing where you could walk up to it and um, push a button and it would take your picture and then it added oh. it to a slideshow that we were driving to the Apple TV. And that was really fun. I bet you could probably do that with an iPad and shortcuts. I'd have to like think about it, but that would be kind of fun to say, have people over and say, go take your picture, you know, like virtual photo. Yeah. Booth. That would be very cool. You have to share that with me. I like yeah, that idea. That's uh, neat. Oh, yeah. I'm going to dust that off. Maybe there's something more I can do with that. But the, <laughs> um, either way, yeah, that's cool. I, I like the idea. And I'm sure there's some of our listeners that have probably toyed with the idea, too. So go check out Shane's video on that and uh, get your iPad hung up. I mean, why not? Right. Especially if you've got an old one sitting in a drawer, you might as well use it. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password the world's most loved password manager. Go to onepassword.com slash MPU in all caps to get 20% off. One password is the application that allows you to have safe and secure access to the internet and websites with just one password. The way it works is you log into the application and it generates safe and secure passwords for you that you use with all your online logins. And they have so many more features in addition to that. For instance, they've got a secure vault where you can put text notes that other people can't read. I put my medical notes in there, for example. They've also got the ability to uh, keep all the information regarding your credit cards. Like we were on a trip once, my wife lost her credit card. We just went in one password. Not only did I have all the 800 numbers and websites there, I'd also taken a picture of the card and saved it to one password because one password lets you also store images in that secure vault. It's just a super useful way to stay secure in a world where there are a lot of people trying to break into your privacy and get your secure data. 
So one password is like your assistant in all of this. And the next level of that for me was getting a one password for families account. And if you just go to onepassword.com slash MPU and all caps, you can get 20% off that family account. I pay for it every year. And I really like it because it's got my kids using one password and my wife using one password as well. Just recently, my wife needed to share a password with me for a service that we share. And I just had her move it into the vault. We have different vaults. Like I have one that I just use for things I do. I have one, she has her own. We have a shared family vault for things like, you know, the TV services like Netflix or Disney Plus. But my wife and I have a shared vault for things that just the two of us need. And she didn't have to like text me the password or do something dumb. She just put it in our shared vault and it immediately appeared on all my devices. I have a lot of faith in these guys. They work so hard at protecting our security. They've been around a long time. They've won a lot of awards. They're a very big company and very committed to protecting your passwords. So go check it out. And I really recommend if you've got a family, sign up for a family plan. Um, not in addition to protecting your passwords and giving you the shared vaults, it gives you online storage and a whole bunch of other peace of mind things with your passwords. I'm a big fan. Um, my kids are even using it, which is great because they're getting good password habits as they move into adulthood. Hopefully they'll take those with them, but they're not going to get them unless they start using them somewhere. And I think one password for families is where that all began for them. Uh, to learn more, go over to onepassword.com slash MPU. Put that MPU in all caps. That way you get into that deal to get 20% off and check it out. I think you'll be really happy with the purchase. I know I am. Uh, once again, that's onepassword.com slash MPU in all caps. And let them know you heard about it on the Mac Power Users. Thank you, OnePassword, for all of your support of the Mac Power Users. So, Shane, we've talked some uh, about your gear, but how did you get into sort of the, the content creation game to begin with? And how did you come to focus on HomeKit as your sort of area of expertise? Well, uh, kind of like I was mentioning earlier, I'd been doing uh, video editing and multimedia type of work for a while uh, with my day job. I've done graphic design and web design, all kinds of things like that over the years, a lot of freelance stuff. But at the time, I was really enjoying uh, video editing. Uh, but I was always on the editing side. I never really... I didn't, I won't say never, I didn't do a lot with actually recording the footage, you know, video shoots, and certainly was never in front of the camera. Um, and so I just really kind of wanted to get better at all those things, um, including to include editing. Uh, I knew I had a lot, you know, many ways to improve and, and still do. There's always room to improve. But uh, so I just wanted to get better. And I was doing a lot of freelancing at the time. Uh, or as much as I could. And I honestly got tired of editing, you know, other people's like crappy phone footage. You know, I would get on these like freelance websites in my, in my spare time and just edit people's, you know, stuff for their YouTube channels or whatever. And I was like, man, I just want to, I want to record my own stuff and uh, edit my own footage. And so that's just what I started doing. And at the time I, we had, just moved into, we had just bought a new house not too long before that. And, um, I've always been kind of into tech and gadgets and stuff and was just working with the smart home was something I was into myself. Um, and I was just getting into it. And so it was, I kind of chose that as my, my, uh, topic, I guess you can say for the channel, just as a way to, uh, document the process 
um, on YouTube because, you know, I I did just for my own knowledge, I did a whole lot of research trying to figure out the best platform to go with as far as a smart home, um, what I needed. And it was just so confusing, I felt like. Uh, so I, you know, after all that research, I, I thought maybe I can just help some other people, you know, get on the right track and make it a little bit easier to understand was was kind of my intention. And that's really one of the reasons why we really wanted you on the show. I feel like there's so many of us that are getting like 10% of what we can out of HomeKit. And, um, you know, you're at the, you're at the sharp end of the stick here, brother. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I wasn't always, uh, like I said, I, I started on the ground floor. I mean, when I started the YouTube channel, if you go back and look at some of those first videos, they're hard to watch, first of all. But um, I mean, I had only a couple of HomeKit accessories in my home. You know, it was literally me just documenting, you know, my my own process here as I as I've worked through it over the last few years. Well, one of the nice things you've done is you've created a getting started playlist and we'll link that in the show notes. So if you guys are getting started with HomeKit, he's got a whole series of videos he can walk you through. But for our, for our listeners, let's just kind of talk through the HomeKit basics. You know, what are the devices people can connect to HomeKit at this point? Well, um, there is a list on the Apple website, you know, and there are certain device categories, you know, lights, um, thermostats, uh, let's, you know, all kinds of different things like that. Uh, but really to get started, I always tell people to get started, like on the very basic level, first of all, you need to establish a good Wi-Fi network. If you haven't already, don't wait until you have 50 smart home devices to change, you know, to a new mesh router, because that can be a headache. Do it first. Um, and then once you do that, you're going to need a home kit hub. If again, if you're going with HomeKit as your primary platform and HomeKit Hub can be an Apple TV, a HomePod mini, or even an iPad, I recommend using either an Apple TV or, um, or a HomePod mini. And from there, you know, you can just look into any device that has that little works with HomeKit stamp on it and it should work with HomeKit. Now let's, I'm going to talk about the idea of like the Apple TV or any of the devices that can be a home kit hub because it's not really addressable, right? I mean, I don't go in, I can't go into the Apple TV and find the home kit hub settings in the Apple TV settings. Actually, I think in the Apple TV, you can at least <laughs> you know at I one... knew as I said that you were going to tell me that, but all right. Just, <laughs> all right. Yeah, I, I stand corrected. So how's that work? Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure at, at least at one point you could, I haven't checked in a while. I know there is some home kit settings in the Apple TV. At one point you could, enable it or turn it off as yeah, a home kit hub. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you still can, um, the home pods you cannot. And so that's, you know, a little annoying for some people. Um, so they, they do limit the control you have there in regards to your hubs. Um, I know for example, if you have multiple hubs, you can't really choose which one is the primary hub, you know, one will be the primary and your, and then your other ones will be, uh, I think, in standby mode is what it's called. Um, so that's, that's a little annoying, especially if you have say, you know, a hardwired Apple TV 4k, you might want that as your primary hub and, you know, the robots in the cloud might choose the other one, you know, a HomePod mini or something, for example, what does the hub do for the network? Though? I mean, what, what does, what purpose does it serve? Because you could also just get a home kit plug and an iPhone without an Apple TV 
and you could still turn it off and on, right? You could, yeah, you could. And uh, that's that's a good to clarify. Um, but you're going to be really limited. So you could buy a smart plug that works with HomeKit and control it with your phone. But as soon as you leave the house and leave your Wi-Fi network, it's not going to work anymore. You'd have to be on that same Wi-Fi network in order for that smart plug to work. So the HomeKit hub um, basically handles all the processing and stuff, and it will give you remote access. So when you do leave, as long as you have that home kit hub, you can always control your devices. You know, you can check to see if your garage door is open. Uh, you can close it, lock the doors, whatever, when you're away from your, from your network. And then another thing it does is, um, it, does you know you have to have a home kit hub in order to run automations so you know if you want to turn the light on when you arrive home or when you unlock the front door a home kit hub is needed for for that as well because all that processing is done there locally on the on the hub steven do you ever like turn your lights on remotely or doing that stuff i like having uh access to it if i'm if i'm gone i mean i have some routines set up where you know as it gets close to sundown some lights in the front of the house come on and that sort of thing but just the the sense of security i get that i can open it anywhere and see oh are these lights on are these blinds up or down uh you know what's the temperature in my office that sort of thing uh i really like and so the home hub has been it's such a good addition to HomeKit and what's cool about it and unlike some other systems like you probably already have an apple tv or a home pod or an old ipad laying yeah. around it's not a separate mm-hmm. you know little plastic janky box you've got to hold on to i mean we do it all the time like when we're coming home at night we always turn the lights on in the house from the road you know and during the summer if we've been gone all day we'll turn the air conditioning on so it start the house starts cooling off before we get home or even like recently my Sister came to visit me, but my my wife and I weren't home yet. They beat beat us to the house, so I unlocked the front door from them using the HomeKit hub because I have a HomeKit lock. And um, I do think it really does drastically improve the the usability of HomeKit. Very cool. Yep, automations is uh, is is where it's at, and that's probably my favorite thing and my favorite use case. Uh, just in, as far as having a smart home, I use automations. Uh, that's my favorite thing, I guess, because, you know, people always say, well, why do you want to control your lights with your phone? And I say, well, I really don't. <laughs> I don't have to. My yeah. lights just come on automatically when I come home. They turn off when I leave. You know, mm-hmm. things are all, all happening automatically. I very rarely actually use the home app on my phone to control devices, you know. What what are some basic automations for folks that are kind of getting started with this? So let's stay at level one and level two now, you know. What are some <laughs> automations uh, that people can turn on? Steven already shared one. Like, there's a setting in the home app. If you just say, when the sun goes down, throw a switch, you know, and that can turn on a light or, you know, play, a, you know, your favorite Miles Davis album or whatever floats your boat when it starts getting dark. Yeah, so, uh, you know, your most basic one is probably going to be doing things when you arrive home or when you leave home. And they do have, like you mentioned, some, they kind of try to guide you in that. If you use the, like when you set up a new light, it'll give you a suggested scene or a suggested automation usually. Um, And you'll often see something like that when I arrive home, when I leave home, things like that. Um, Another one, you know, uh, 
again with lights you know if you have door sensors you know open a closet door turn on the light simple things like that um easy to set up and uh can be very very handy yeah and i, I do l- let me interrupt there for a second shane yeah, so you ahead. talked about when you leave the house so as i understand it um the iphone knows when the iphone is leaving your house but mm-hmm. so that can be a trigger but you can also use a door sensor which you had just mentioned so kind of explain the difference between those two mechanisms when you're using location a location-based automation is going to be using you know the gps on your phone like you mentioned so you know once you get outside of that range then uh then your automation will happen when uh when you use a door sensor or something like that you know it's pretty instantaneous you open the door and then and then it happens automatically there does that does that answer yeah (laughs) i mean i think it helps too when you've got a lot of people in the house um because you know there's so many people to track like when somebody gets home like sometimes having a door sensor is kind of a more basic way but it's a more reliable way in my experience sure yeah i've i've heard from a number of people here and there who have had issues with location based um automations especially when you have multiple people in the home and multiple devices but uh, i really haven't had any issues with that i use a few of them i don't have a ton but i do have a few um and you can go in there and set you know which device is the one tracking your location for example you know you don't want your ipad tracking your location you want your phone so you can set that in your device settings but i've got a few like you can actually specify you know more than one person so a couple of my favorite automations for example uh, i have one you know i have some accent lights in my house that you know some light strips under the cabinets and things like that that i just like kind of on all the time so i have those set when either my wife or i come home so you can specify multiple people and it'll run the automation when the first of those two people come home and similarly you can do the same thing when the last of those two people leaves the house it can turn everything off does that make sense yeah so essentially those light you know i'm never walking into a dark house um and i never have to worry about turning off those lights either so yeah and you don't want the the lights to turn out when you leave and you leave your family in the dark right that's that's never a good conversation to have (laughs) right exactly yeah i just told this story on automators but i have kind of like a a, some of those flick switches upstairs in the drawer next to my bed and i um and flick is f-l-i-c they're triggers for home kit so i i i made one and triggered basically all the lights downstairs on it and the idea is if I wake up and hear a noise in the middle of the night, I reach over, I push one button, and all the lights in the house go on. And then I can go downstairs and make sure everything's okay. And But like an idiot, I also programmed it to, if you do a, two taps, it turns off all the lights downstairs. And I had taken some eye drops, and I thought I was turning off the lights in my room, but I turned off all the lights in the house on everybody that was downstairs. And all I heard was people screaming in my house when I pushed. Them. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, that's yeah. fantastic. Uh, yeah, that is, uh, I, that's one word for it. Yeah. There's definitely some downsides. <laughs> um, occasionally we, we actually lost power. Um, just last night, matter of fact, we had some really bad storms coming through and it just not, we lost power just for, you know, a very short time, a few seconds, but then everything kicked back on, kicked back on and most lights and stuff are set to, 
you know, restore wherever they left off. But I had a few, of course, that weren't. So I had lights actually in my bedroom coming on in the middle of the night. My wife was not very happy, to say the least. Yeah, some of the older Hue lights are bad about that, where there's yeah. a power outage and they come back like on white. It's like that you were blue last time I saw you, but uh, <laughs> they get a little confused. Yeah. Shane, yep. can you do you have some preferred vendors? I, I know you know one of the weird things about HomeKit is Apple never got into the game. You know, Apple's not making the plugs and the lights and the sensors; they're just making the underlying software. And there's all these different companies trying to sell us gizmos to use with HomeKit. Do you have any favorites? Um, I yeah, I do. I actually have a on my website. I set up a page for my recommended products, and these are the products that I've used, you know, that one beauty of home, one of the beauties of HomeKit is that, you know, you can use accessories from all different kinds of brands and they all work together well within HomeKit. You can automate, you know, different lights from different manufacturers with different door sensors all together. Um, With that said, you know, some of the ones that I guess that stick out right now off the top of my head, Nanoleaf and both Nanoleaf and Eve are two brands that are, are kind of at the forefront right now because they're, uh, utilizing thread technology, which, you know, we could, we could probably have a whole nother conversation about that, but that's pretty new to home kit anyways. And, uh, they've been doing a lot over the past year or so. And I expect they're going to keep doing more of that. Um, Let's see. Lights. You know, a lot of people like Philips Hue. They're okay. They're very expensive. I don't have a ton of Philips Hue uh, devices. Um, Vocolink is a brand that I've used for a long time that has, you know, real affordable kind of barrier to entry. But um, but like I said, Nanoleaf, now they've got light strips and bulbs that are pretty affordable too. So over the years, the prices have come down. I've seen quite a bit with uh, a lot of these accessories, which is, uh, which is very good. Yeah. A, a recent vendor that I've bought into is Acara, A-Q-A-R-A. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. If you've tried them or not, but you have to buy a hub from them. So I bought a hub, but they sell really inexpensive sensors like they have leak sensors and i mm-hmm. ended up getting like six of these leak. they're like twenty dollars and i got like six of them and now like every toilet and like sink and you know washing machine everything in my house that could leak and ruin my house now is connected to home kit and doing tests on them they work great yeah they they do yeah thanks for mentioning that because Akara is one of my favorites also in fact i you say they do require a hub and they do um i actually have a video on my channel where i basically compare there's i think five different quote unquote hubs now from Akara but yeah. what i love about Akara that you probably know is that their hubs aren't just you know, a plastic box that you shove in your server closet, uh, their hubs are actual, actually do something like two of them right now are cameras. So you can buy, uh, an Acara camera, for example, and that can act as your hub, uh, which is really cool. And then some of the other ones, you know, one has a really cool nightlight and also acts as a security system within home kit. Uh, so things like that. And like you said, the, the sensors, are super cheap and they work really well. So I'm a big fan of a car as well. While we're talking about third-party hardware real quick, I think some people do have a little confusion over the idea of a hub, right? Where some things you can just 
open out of the box, plug in, scan the little barcode, and it's in your your home app, and you're you're good to go. But others do have a little plastic box that you plug into power and maybe Ethernet and stick it in a closet somewhere. Uh, what sorts of products can you expect to need a hub? Uh, what is that hub doing? Is it a security issue? Kind of where does that fit in? Yeah, so kind of getting a little bit into the weeds there. The thing is, you know, it really just depends on the technology that's being used to connect these devices, right? So uh, in my, you mentioned my getting started playlist. So in my very, like my 101 getting started video, I kind of go through how HomeKit works. And basically these devices connect um, to your HomeKit hub in one of a few ways. It's either connecting uh, via Wi-Fi. So the product will connect directly to your Wi-Fi network, um, or it's using Bluetooth, or it's using a hub. Uh, And now, you know, it can use thread. I mentioned thread a a minute ago. So when they're using a hub, that's usually because it's using some other kind of uh, language like, um, or protocol, I should say, like Zigbee. So Acara products, for example, use Zigbee. Uh, Philips Hue uses Zigbee, but it is kind of a pain because they all need that, you know, their proprietary hub in order to, uh, you know, to get that information into HomeKit, if that makes sense. Yeah. If you go down this road, there's two other things you're going to end up buying. First is going to be an Ethernet switch with like 12 plugs in it because as you get these, you get, you get this increasing number of pucks, right? And then the smartest thing I ever, one of the smartest things I ever bought on Amazon, especially in relation to HomeKit is it was like 10 or $20. And it was a pack of like 10 colored ethernet cables that were like one foot long. (laughs) And, Mm. and you get, get that. So you get different colored cables because as you start plugging the hubs and you're like, well, which, which one is this? And you've got all these white cables, you know? (laughs) Yeah. uh, But yeah, you end up, you end up needing more ethernet ports as you do this. Cause in my experience, some of the most reliable stuff does come with a hub. Like I, and I've talked about on the show in the past, I'm not going to go at length on it but i use the lutron cassetta switches which i have found super reliable but you have to get a hub when you get started with it right yeah and that's that's a great example and some great points there Uh, and i'm a big fan of lutron cassetta too another one that's highly recommended um and they are they are actually using a proprietary um protocol it's similar to zigbee but they are, it's so reliable and it's because of that hub. So I'm, I'm with you. You know, I've heard a lot of people that like to complain about all these hubs and having too many hubs. But the fact is, in my experience, a lot of those products, they're so reliable and they work so fast and well because of that hub, just like Acara, just like the, uh, the Lutron stuff. Um, that Zigbee connection is is really fast and it's it's really good, which is also kind of what's exciting about Thread and these products that are utilizing Thread because they don't require that extra hub like you know the Zigbee stuff does, and uh, these pro you know Thread is a pro- protocol that actually performs very much like um, like Zigbee, but you don't need that hub. So that's pretty cool. And like I said, we're starting to get some devices now that support thread. I just installed some, uh, some new shades that support thread. Uh, so that's been pretty cool. And I think we'll see some more of that over the next, next year or two, hopefully. 
This episode of Mac Power Users is made possible by Text Expander. What could you do with more hours back in your schedule every month? Well, things like repetitive typing, fixing little mistakes, searching for answers, they all take away precious time from you and your team. With Text Expander, you can take it back so you can focus on what matters most in your business. With Text Expander, you and your team can keep your message consistent, save time and be more productive and being accurate every single time. The way we work is changing. Make work happen wherever you are by saying more and less time and less effort with Text Expander. You'll never need to copy and paste repetitive responses again. With Text Expander, your knowledge will always be at your fingertips with a quick search or abbreviation. So here's how it works. Drop your commonly used content into a Text Expander snippet and give it an abbreviation. Share the snippet with your entire team, and with just a few characters, you can trigger your snippet so the content expands anywhere you're typing. It's that easy. Text Expander is available on Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. Show listeners will get 20% off their first year. Visit textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more. That's textexpander.com slash podcast. Shane, I want to turn up the temperature now to a three or a four. All right. Let, let's start getting a little deeper with HomeKit. Um, how do you get beyond the basics with HomeKit? You know, what what's a good project to do and what are some tips to get, get people to that next level? I always find it's just best to figure out something that's practical for you. You know, beyond the home app, you know, you kind of use the home app to set up your devices and to build your automations. Once you are ready to go to the next level, I recommend checking out some of the third-party HomeKit apps out there. Um, They can give you actually more access to HomeKit and what HomeKit can offer than you can get in the native home app made by Apple, uh, if you can believe that. Uh, But you can really uh, get into the weeds and and do some cool stuff. I've done some videos on like creating conditional automations um, and things like that. Well, we got a We got a line here in the outline that I did not write. It says Stephen will write if home paper is not mentioned. It's it's my all time (laughs) favorite third party home kit app because <laughs> all it does is let you create your own background for your rooms in home kit or in the home app. Now the home app, I know some people like it. I find it pretty disappointing in some areas, including the fact that these backgrounds don't sync between devices, but on my phone, if I'm on my studio, I have like a picture of my Mac collection with this beautiful gradient. And then I swipe over to the kitchen and it's a picture of the kitchen with a couple of home kit things we have assigned to that room. And it has been just great to be able to like very quickly at a glance know where I am in the home app. It's great. And and we should say everything, uh everything by this developer is amazing. They make a bunch of home kit stuff that's all really good. Yeah. All right. So let, let's go all in with the Aaron Pierce collection. Right. <laughs> yeah. Aaron, Aaron Pierce, shout out to Aaron Pierce, a developer that makes some awesome home kit apps. And um, yeah, his home paper app is really cool. I've actually in the past, because I've done graphic design and stuff, I've d- designed some of my own, uh, you know, for like Christmas or something like that in the past, but it's a pain, you know, and who really has time for that? Well, he came out with this home paper app and um, man, it is so cool, you know, to create these beautiful backgrounds 
icons for your home app. Um, so I, I'm a big fan of that one also. And some of his other ones, just to mention, uh, Home Pass is a, a favorite of mine where you can actually store in all your home kit codes. You can put notes, all kinds of stuff like that. This one came in handy for me big time around the holidays this year because, you know, I was pulling in old, uh, uh, old smart plugs for all of our little Christmas decorations and stuff. And, um, you know, I can uh, pull up the app. You can actually pull up the home pass app on your watch and scroll through all your different saved accessories, find the one you're looking for, and you can scan the home kit code right there from your app or, or from your watch, excuse me. So, uh, really cool. Uh, once you start having, it's a good idea to kind of keep track of all the accessories because before you know it, uh, they, they can add up for sure. Um, some other ones from him, he has home cam, uh, which allows you to see all your cameras. Uh, I've used this on the Apple TV before all your ca- cameras in one view, which is nice. Yeah. Home I've got Run that is one. Another one. Home cam, two thumbs up. Yeah. Nice. Uh, home log is another one worth mentioning. That's, I think is probably his newest one. And I've used that a little bit. I haven't used it a lot, but you actually can run that on your Mac. You can use it from a phone too, I believe. But from your Mac, you can uh, actually keep this open and it creates a log of everything that's happening kind of behind the scenes in your HomeKit setup. So you can, you know, troubleshoot and kind of figure out, you know, if something might not be working right. You can kind of get an idea of what's going on there. So that's a pretty handy app also. I didn't even know this existed. I- so the first purchase of the day has now occurred. <laughs> nice. Well, we'll see if we can add add a few more in there too. Because yeah. <laughs> there there are some good ones, some good apps. You know, um, you mentioned kind of taking it to the next level. Uh, two other apps that I really recommend, and they, these are kind of inter- interchangeable, I'd say. Um, but I do have both of them, and that one is called the Home Plus app. I think if you search for it on the app store, I think it's called home plus five right now. And the other one is called controller for home kit. Both of these, if you've not tried them are great. Uh, they, uh, I think you can do, you can do advanced automations with them for one. So you can do, um, excuse me, you can do automations in these that you cannot do in the native home app. So you can create, customizable um, conditional automations say with multiple triggers for example yeah, could uh, you give like us an that. example of that yeah uh, let's see so I don't know just a I'm trying to think I did one of these recently um, and I'm trying to remember exactly what I did I can't recall what I did but uh, you know say you want to run an automation say you want I don't know a simple example I want to turn on these lights when the front door is open or the garage door is open, right? That's just a simple, uh, basic thing with essentially two triggers. If you did that in the home app, you would have to create two automations, one for the garage door opening and one for the front door opening in the home plus or the controller app for HomeKit, You can create one automation, you can give it two triggers. And then when either one of those happens, it'll turn on the lights. Um, another example when we're getting into conditional automations would be, you know, uh, probably the most basic, and you can do some of this in the home app, um, the native home app, but like a most, a basic version would be turn on the lights when I unlock the front door, but only at night, right? 
at yeah. night would be your condition. And you can do that in the home app, but the home app restricts you on the conditions you can use. If you use one of these other apps, you can use anything as a condition. You can use any of your other accessories as a condition, which is really nice. Um, you know, you can say, turn on the lights when I unlock the front door, only if my security system is off. Uh, that doesn't make any sense, but just to give you an example, that's something you can do. You can't do that in the home app. I'm just thinking right now, I, I got an idea. I have this love of jazz music and I have what I call the jazz button under my desk, you know, and I, it's mm -hmm. a flick switch that if I throw, it starts playing my jazz playlist. But my wife, she loves me and she likes a lot of jazz. But when I get into like late Coltrane and the stuff that's like really out there, she doesn't like it. It sounds like chaos to her. Actually, I think it sounds like chaos to a lot of people. But I could, I just realized I could make one that if I hit the jazz button and I'm home, it plays what if, and she's home, it plays one thing. But if I hit the jazz button and she's not home, it plays a different thing. Like that, that's the kind of thing you can do once you start adding conditions. Yeah. Yeah. Conditions is really, I wish I had some more examples. I didn't, I didn't think to write down any examples, but I've got one or two videos where I go into more advanced stuff and I, I use some, some conditions and it, it is helpful uh, for sure. Especially once you start having a lot of different accessories and, uh, you know, security system is a, a, a good one, um, you know, to use as a condition, you might want to run certain uh, automations you know, only when your security system is armed, for example. Um, yeah. So things like that. And the nice thing is that, well, the weird thing is you never know you have that ability if you're using the Apple app. <laughs> it does, it's right. just not there, you know I mean? Yeah. Like you're listening to the show and you've been doing HomeKit exclusively through the Apple HomeKit app. There's like a whole set of tools you didn't know you had. Stephen, have you done any conditional stuff? I haven't. Uh, my automation needs, because someone is almost always home, are, are pretty simple but yeah. your point is an interesting one that there's stuff that home kit can do that apple doesn't reveal in the home app and that yeah. kind of makes home kit a little bit unique in terms of like apple services like i don't think there's much like secret apple music stuff you can get if you use a third-party app right but home kit is like this whole world that is out there and apple has just kind of open the door in its app and is seemingly very happy to let others take it further. I, I find that fascinating. Yeah. I was going to say it's the way I kind of look at it when I explain it to people, because a lot of people uh, will confuse home kit with the home app. Right. And I, you need to differentiate those two. And a lot of people don't do that because see the home app is simply just an interface for home kit. Home kit is you know, essentially a framework. And there's a lot more to HomeKit that is not accessible in the mm -hmm. native Home app. And that's what these third-party app developers have done is they're giving you more access to that framework. Uh, for example, uh, a good example is when I get a new accessory, you know, let's say I, I buy a smart, um, you know, air purifier. Uh, you know, I'll set it up in the home app probably. But one of the first things I always do is I jump over to either the home plus app or the controller for home kit app. And I will go in there and see what accessor I will see what all that device exposes to home kit. A lot of times these devices will expose uh, custom attributes to home kit, the, the framework home kit that are not visible in the home app. Does that make sense? 
um, trying to think of it like effects, for example, lighting effects. There are actually uh, some lights that will explode, expose lighting effects to HomeKit, but you can't see that in the Home app. You can access that within those third-party apps. And once you have access to that in those apps, you can automate them and you can do different things with those attributes. Yeah, it's funny because when we were prepping for the show, I we had this conversation. You know, Shay and I want to tell the listeners how they can get better at this. And the, the first thing he said was, not that they need to go buy more hardware is that they need better software, you know, <laughs> and that's yeah. really what it is. I mean, you get some of these third-party apps we're talking about and um, suddenly you're able to really make it dance. Yeah. And, and another one I want to mention too, while we're on this subject is the Eve app. We talked about home plus and the controller for HomeKit app for a lot of these things. The Eve app is a free one. So those other ones do cost money. If you know, if you're out there listening and you want to jump in and try some of these things, the Eve app, it's free. It, uh, you don't have to have any Eve accessories. So Eve does, they do make products. You don't have to have any, they, basically a, th- a third-party home kit app like the others and they usually expose most of those um you know uh custom attributes and they do give you uh options for more conditional automations and things like that and it's a free option so worth worth mentioning that's really smart of them too because that makes you want to use their products as you get better at using their app you know yeah. Yeah. Eve is uh, one of the reasons I like their products is uh, they've been making products exclusively for HomeKit, whereas most other products, you know, HomeKit's usually the last thing they add support for, where Eve, they are 100% privacy focused and there's no Eve app. There's no um, Eve cloud or registration. So all of their accessories work 100% in that HomeKit framework and there's nothing else. So that's that's one thing I like about Eve. Can we just take a slight detour that you've mentioned the, the, the term privacy? And um, I know a lot of people do worry about that when they start getting into this home automation stuff. What's your understanding of HomeKit and privacy and your feelings on it at this point? Yeah, so uh, that's one of the things that kind of led me into going with HomeKit, aside from the fact that I was just a big Apple fan you know, already and was already using all Apple devices um, in my house. We were an entire Apple household anyways. Um, But once I started doing my research, you know, back at the very beginning and trying to figure out what platform I wanted to use, whether it's, you know, Amazon or Google uh, for my smart home, uh, HomeKit was different in its, you know, uh, outlook and its stance on privacy. And basically everything it all runs locally, uh, which is not like the other platforms out there. They all rely on the cloud, whereas your HomeKit stuff is, you know, all the communication is end-to-end encrypted, and uh, it's all done there locally in your home. So if you give your, you know, your if you give Siri a command or whatever, or do it on your phone, um, it's all processed right there on your HomeKit hub. Doesn't have to go to the cloud. So as far as privacy goes it's a lot better in that regard, in my opinion. So we've talked about some of the uh, some of the apps we can use that push beyond what Home App does uh, from Apple. Mm-hmm. One of the other areas that I think HomeKit looks more limited than it is if your only experience is the Home App are ways that you can trigger HomeKit. So we already mentioned automations earlier. So 
everyone leaves, turn the lights on, etc. Um, and of course, uh, Siri, Apple's voice assistant, is another one. Uh, but there are some some pretty cool nerdy ways to trigger HomeKit that people may not be aware of. Yeah, um, uh, another great thing about HomeKit and having a smart home is is you know you can set things up like this. You can obviously the home app, it's on your iPhone. It's, it's come, it comes on your iPhone. It's on your iPad. It's on your Mac. It's on your Apple watch. So you can already use all of those devices to control your smart home. If you want, you know, you can pull up your cameras, you know, when you're working on your Mac, if you want, um, Apple TV, again, we talked about Apple TV earlier. You can actually use the Siri remote on your Apple TV to turn on and off your lights or to pull up your cameras up there on your TV. So there's a lot of ways that you can access uh, your smart home and control it just from your Apple products. But then you can also do things like, you know, NFC tags, um, which can be pretty fun, which can also kind of get into shortcuts and some more stuff there. You can use things like flick buttons. Um, I know, David, you were talking about flick buttons earlier. I'm a big fan of those as well. I have a number of them myself. Um, so there's there's a lot of ways you can control your smart home. And it's pretty interesting because the more people I've talked to, you know, I've seen more and more how different everyone is, you know, what some people prefer others do not and vice versa. Yeah. Like the flick buttons, just to kind of give a description of them, it's just a little button about the size of a quarter and it's about a quarter of an inch thick and it's got an adhesive stick on the back. So you can stick it basically anywhere and you can, there's three switches in it. You can press it once, press it twice or long press it. And then that's a trigger in HomeKit or any of these third-party HomeKit apps. So you can say, when I press, like for instance, the jazz button, it's on the right side under my desk. If I tap it, it plays a, a, a shortcut automation to start a playlist. And you, you know, David, some people put buttons under their desk, like if they're a Bond villain, right? Like yeah, you hit I know. the button and then I James know. Bond falls into the tank of sharks. Yes. Yours just plays jazz. Well, I mean, Jabba had one too, and it made you fall into a pit with, you know, a monster that would eat you. But mine plays jazz. I, I also have one that turns on the lights in the room. You know, like the studio lights go on at night. I just reach under, and I could do it with my voice. I could do it with the app. But it's it, a physical button can be very convenient. And um, but there, are, it's a device where. Um, when they first launched it, they had a deal. And so I ordered a couple of them and I love them. And, but it comes with its own hub. You know, it's the whole thing, right? You got to like get a hub attached and you got to connect it to HomeKit. But once you go through that, having the ability to use one switch three ways. Now, if I was really a Bond villain, I guess, how would I use those three? I think if I pressed it once, you would fall into the uh, piranhas <laughs> and two would Wait, be electrocution. Yeah. Definitely <laughs> straight to the piranhas. And second would be electrocution. And then, and then the long press would be like, you know, I don't know. I jazz. The, yeah. Jazz music. <laughs> place. It wouldn't be like, like if there was a, you know, I pushed it wrong. I wanted to play some jazz and I actually threw you into a vat of piranhas. I'd be like, Oh man, really sorry about that. Sorry. I just yeah. wanted to play some Miles <laughs> Davis. My, my finger slipped. Uh, <laughs> another way you can trigger some of this stuff is with an app called push cut. And this is not something I'm super familiar with. So I'd love to hear more from, from both of y'all. And I think both of y'all are familiar with this. Yeah. Uh, David, probably the expert there. I've used push cuts uh, or the push cut app a little bit. Um, it is 
pretty neat the stuff you can do with it um basically I, I guess it's intended primarily to send custom notifications to your phone if i'm not mistaken right would you say that's right dave is that yeah. how you yeah we had um simon Lieb, the developer on automators 38 we'll put a link in the show notes but it's basically a home kit server i guess and, and simon may disagree with me about how you categorize it but if you've got like an old ios device or maybe you could use it with that ipad on your wall you run it and it's a server that can trigger automations um remotely because you know one of the problems is it's hard to do that with ios because of the impermanence of applications so you run push cut and it becomes like a little server so it's just a it's another way to make it easier to run run these things but I think that's my understanding is that's one way you can use push cuts as the automation server. And uh, that would allow you to run automated personal shortcuts, um, which can also be triggered, which can also be triggered by uh, HomeKit accessories, which is not something you can do otherwise, if that makes sense. So when you yeah. do the convert to shortcut, I'm holding up air quotes here, <laughs> when you convert an automation to to a shortcut, uh, a HomeKit automation, you're very limited in the stuff you can do. For example, you, you know, basic example, you can't send a text message because that requires the personal device. Um, but if you set up a automation server uh, with push cuts, you can do that, but it does require that, um, the dedicated iOS device. Uh, and while we're on the subject, I will mention real quick, we got to give a shout out to another app because until recently, push cuts was the only way to do this. I'm not sure if you're familiar with um, an app called Signals. Have you ever heard of that one? No, that's new to me. So Signals, it's by a developer uh, named Matt Corey. And uh, initially, it's just a cool app in itself, and it's been around for a while, and it just allows you to set up these little automations, uh, basically buttons, where you can just flash your HomeKit lights, right? So it's dinner time, push a button, flash the lights. You can set up shortcuts and stuff, so you can say it's dinner time to, to your speaker, and it'll flash lights. So that was the primary um, primary use for it, but the developer since uh, shortcuts on the Mac was released recently has uh he has created the mac version of his shortcuts app and kind of a little hidden gem in there is that you can actually use um he's made it possible for you to be able to trigger your shortcuts from any any of your shortcuts on the mac from any of your home kit accessories which is something for some reason, we still can't do with Apple. And because this app runs on the Mac, it can kind of run all the time and you can really truly automate your shortcuts this way. I hope that makes sense. Well, I, I'll just tell you, that's the second purchase of today's show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's def, if you're really into automations and shortcuts, uh, like I said before, the only way to, to truly automate something uh, your shortcuts, your personal shortcuts with HomeKit like that was to use that automation server with PushCut. Um, but now this gives us another option and uh, and it's really cool. I, I wish, you know, Apple would, I don't know why they kind of limit us and don't give us that that kind of, because it's all there, you know, shortcuts is there, home, it's all running on the Mac. I don't know why they don't give us that kind of 
automation possibilities natively, but um, app uh, app developers like Matt Corey building in stuff like that uh, is really cool. Yeah, and you know what happens in Apple? It's always you know there are people in Apple that want it to be more powerful, and then there's a group of people in Apple that say we need to make it simple so people can turn on their Christmas lights without any hassle. And um, yeah, and they're always walking that line. But the good news is quite often, and especially here, um, the powers that be have allowed this stuff to exist and are allowing third-party app developers to come in to fill in the power user gap. But um, if you get one thing from the show today, I think it is you need to explore these apps. I mean, and, you know, we're going to run out of time, but I think at some point, Stephen, we need to do a whole show just on comparing these apps or maybe we'll get Shane back. But the um, because there's so much to these apps, the the merits of them and, and not only are they they're different versions of doing like conditional rules and and power features, but they're also like there's a bunch of them that just scratch different itches. I mean, you almost need a suite of these things to really get the most out of it. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I call it my home, you know, my toolkit. And that's why I say to people, you know, get these apps. If you're getting serious about smart home and home kit, get these apps for your toolkit. They can help you, you know, you, you might not always need them, but you'll run into a certain use case where one of them will be handy. And I will mention too, there's a video that I did a little while ago and I did put, I think it was like my top five, or so uh, favorite HomeKit apps. And I kind of showed what each one is used for of the five that I use. There's probably a couple that I can add to that list since that video came out because um, there's you know there's just more and more out there, but uh, definitely, definitely helpful to have once you start getting more into the automation and stuff. Before we move on, just one other trigger I want to mention because we haven't talked about it, but it's the NFC tags, you know, um, where you can buy stickers and put them on the wall or on your desk or in your books or whatever, and you hold your phone up to it, and Shortcuts recognizes that as a trigger for automation, which you can then use to trigger home automation. And that's a really cool trick. I don't know if you've played with that or not, Shane. I have a little bit, yeah. Uh, there's some videos where I've done on that as well, and it is pretty neat. Uh, f- for me, it, at a certain point, I'm, it almost feels a little... I don't want to say gimmicky um, because there are some good use cases for it, but with the use, as far as your smart home goes with the use of, you know, buttons, which we've talked about with flick and there's a number of other buttons out there that you can use uh, between the buttons and just, you know, automations. I actually don't use NFC tags a whole lot, um, but it is, there are some good use cases for them for sure. And one one cool trick too, if you haven't tried this, you can actually, I've done this before, you can put one behind the wall plate of your light, your light switch. So it's kind of hidden there. And then you can tap your phone to your light switch, which is kind of a neat little trick. Uh, I never thought of that. That's great. Rosemary Orchard, the co-host of The Automators, has a car that does not have a CarPlay you know, unit in it. Because like CarPlay, you have one of the triggers can be if you plug into CarPlay. So for a lot of people... You can make automations happen on your phone just when you plug your phone in in your car. Um, but she doesn't have one. So she put a NFC sticker. So when she gets in her car, she taps her phone to her dashboard and then her phone like goes into car car mode, you know, and it gives her the apps mm. and maps and all the things she needs to to use in her car, which I thought was a pretty good use of that. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. 
This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Electric. Go to electric.ai slash MPU and stop stressing over scattered devices and get a free pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones when you schedule a meeting. So you've got a whole fleet of Apple devices and they used to be arranged neatly, carried to and from the office predictably, and handed directly to your team members on day one. Well, that's not so true anymore, right? Uh, now they're strewn across the land. Your company, iPads, iPhones, and Macs are out there connecting to dodgy coffee shop Wi-Fi, mistakenly left behind on cross-country flights, and moonlighting as a child's toy in playrooms turned work-from-home offices. What could go wrong, right? Thanks to Electric, you don't have to worry about what could go wrong. Electric gives you fully supported device management for Apple devices. Electric device management automates device provisioning and setup. It remotely enforces security and compliance across your fleet and gives you visibility into your device inventory and health at all times. Electric uses the world's leading mobile device management providers and tops it off with world-class IT support. They're fully managed devices with over 100 IT specialists ready to field your team's IT requests. So stop stressing over scattered devices. Head over to electric.ai slash MPU and get started. And just for taking a qualified meeting with their team, they'll give you a pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones. That's a good deal. That's electric.ai slash MPU and get your free pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones today when you schedule a qualified meeting. Our thanks to Electric for their support of the Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. So we've talked about the, the basics of HomeKit, the uh, ability to, to run third-party applications on top of that, uh, but you can take it even further uh, with a couple of different solutions to bring in accessories and products that weren't designed and don't work with HomeKit natively but bridge them into your HomeKit setup. And I think probably the most uh, accessible one of these is HomeBridge, uh, which is something that, that I'm running and a lot of people have. Um, and as so, so Shane, give us sort of the, the overview of, of HomeBridge. And I'd love to know if that's something that you use or do you stay within kind of the blessed HomeKit accessory world? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so Homebridge, it's uh, open source and you can run it from pretty much any always on computer. A lot, a lot of people will use uh, Raspberry Pi, which is probably what you're using, if I had to guess. I had, a, I've got a Mac Mini that is like a media server. And so oh. I've got it running on there. But yeah, okay. It's perfect. Don't yeah. go buy a Mac Mini for this. Like <laughs> if you already have yeah. one, that's great. But my word, is it overkill? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There's cheaper ways to do it for sure. Um, but yeah, a lot of people do, uh, will run it on a little raspberry Pi. Um, I've actually, like I mentioned earlier, installed it on my Synology NAS. So that's an option. If you have one of those, um, you know, around that's always running. Uh, but essentially, yeah, I kind of look at Homebridge as, uh, giving you two, two different routes, I guess you can go down. And one is adding, HomeKit support for devices that don't have it natively. And then the other route is that it can actually give you, um, it can actually extend the functionality of HomeKit a little bit further than you can get natively. Um, and by that, I mean, you know, you can create, there's plugin. So I should say first, it does run off of plugins that are um, created by the community, um, which is really cool. So 
With that said, though, some plugins are better than others. They're not all created equal, um, but there's plugins that you can that you can use and install that uh, allow you to create like virtual switches, uh, you know, dummy switches and timers and all kinds of different things like that that you can't really do natively in HomeKit. Uh, and then in addition to that, like I said, uh, the first go around was adding accessories that don't support HomeKit, such as, you know, a, va- a robot vacuum is a good example I like to use because, you know, there are zero robot vacuums for HomeKit because it's not a supported category uh, by Apple or by HomeKit. Um, but you can get your Roomba working in HomeKit through a Roomba plugin for HomeBridge, for example, which is something that I've done also. Yeah, one that that I run is to bring in uh, my like home cameras. Uh, so I I used Nest for a long time, and there is a product specifically that works with Nest. We can mention in a second. Um, but in the last year or so, I transitioned to a bunch of Ring stuff for a bunch of unrelated reasons. Uh, but one of the things I can do now is I have the Ring HomeBridge plugin running. And so I can still use the Ring app and it still has like the full functionality within that application. But I can also see and manage some of the, like a subset of the features within uh, the Home app. And where that has uh, come in handy for me at least is in automation. And so when my wife and I, both of our iPhones leave home, we'll get a notification saying, hey, do you want to set your Nest in a way or your Ring in a way mode in case we forgot to manually set it? And that's been fantastic. And it just runs in the background uh, on on the Mac Mini. What, what I think is really clever about HomeBridge is when you uh, when you go to set it up in the Home app, it just gives you that same sort of six-digit code uh, just like if you unwrapped a new Hue light at Christmas, <laughs> the same thing. <laughs> and the home app doesn't really know any difference. Uh, now, sometimes you get some weirdness, like it wants to use like a weird button for something that the button doesn't make much sense for. It's not perfect, but yeah. I have found in the couple things that I have brought into it, it's been really reliable for me. Yeah, and it, and it will say when you add something from Homebridge, you will get a little message that said this uh, device is not a supported home kit or not certified home kit, something like that. Yeah. Uh, so you will get that little uh, message. So, you know, uh, because, you know, these companies, they do go through quite an extensive process to get their products home kit certified. Um, but uh, with that said, regarding uh, the reliability, again, in my opinion, it 100% depends on the plugin. Hmm. I've had uh, various experiences with this. Some plugins are fantastic, which sounds like the experience you're having. Uh, I've heard really good things about the Nest. I've actually used the Nest and the Ring for a little while. Um, I did some stuff on the channel, uh, kind of integrating those into HomeKit. Those work really well. Uh, other plugins don't work as well. It just kind of depends, again, because they are all developed by the community out there. It's open source kind of stuff. They're not all created equal, but there is some really good stuff out there um, that you can that you can install on HomeBridge. You know, I ran HomeBridge for like a year when I had my iMac, you know, because it was always on in I just ran it off my main iMac Mm -hmm. and it was fine, but I just found I never used it. You know, I've always been pretty careful about buying HomeKit supported hardware because I'm kind of in on the platform. So Mm -hmm. if it doesn't support HomeKit, I'm not going to use it. Like the 
but but recently like i was like i have some of these eufy cameras and most of them are home kit but like the doorbell one isn't and mm-hmm. i've been itching i think i'm gonna have to go back and put homebridge on again to uh <laughs> and it it's sorry to interrupt there uh, it's funny you mentioned eufy because that is actually one of the plugins that i have heard is not very well, not Uh-oh. very good, and not very reliable. So oh, good to know. Okay. <laughs> I've heard Maybe. that. I don't. I don't know if you want to spend too much time there, but I've heard from from multiple people that I know and and trust. I haven't used those. I do have some of the Eufy cameras, but uh, the only ones I have do support HomeKit natively. Um, but yeah, again, there that's kind of kind of what I'm talking about. Some are going to be great, and you just never know. And then it is worth mentioning too. You know, a lot of people will want to get Homebridge and just add everything in there. You know, the privacy stuff is something to think about. You know, a lot of these services, you know, do require going to the cloud still. Um, you know, because they're not native HomeKit. Uh, so just you know. Be aware of what you're installing, what you're using. Don't put anything on there that you wouldn't trust, you know, otherwise. Um, just something worth mentioning. Yeah. Well, I mean, for me, once I, 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 I traded that iMac away, I never reinstalled it. And I honestly haven't missed it. But, you know, the way I got around that is by throwing money at it. And since I'm buying stuff that has HomeKit on the box already. Mm-hmm. And with the third yeah. party apps, I'm pretty good. But the uh yeah, I, I, I do understand the attraction of Homebridge, especially for us nerds, right? Because it's like, oh, give me more buttons, give me more switches. What can I do <laughs> yeah. with this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Let me run a Raspberry Pi twenty four seven. Yeah, it can it can be fun. Uh and, and I will just my stance on that, you kind of asked me how how I feel uh, about using it. Um, I tell everybody, and I'm kind of like you, David, I started from the very beginning with HomeKit in mind. So everything I buy supports HomeKit natively. Um, and that's the way it's always been. A lot of people I know are already kind of deep into their smart home, maybe with Google or something different, and then they want to switch over. So this would be maybe a good uh, a good idea for somebody like that that doesn't want to buy all new products. Um, but my stance and you know theory is I always uh, go native HomeKit when you can, and then when you can't, that's when you look at HomeBridge. So mm-hmm. uh, native HomeKit's probably almost always going to be better in most ways, um, but there are those cases where it's not an option for whatever reason. Uh, personally, I don't use Homebridge a whole lot. I have it for just a few things uh, that don't support HomeKit natively, and there are no HomeKit options like my Roomba vacuum. I'm currently using a few uh, SwitchBot products um, in HomeKit uh, thanks to Homebridge. Uh, again, there's no HomeKit um, alternatives out there. And then, you know, like I said, things like dummy switches and, you know, those virtual switches and stuff like that. I use it for that as well. You know, I think that you're, that's wise advice. I mean, it is fun to play with this stuff. And if you want to, like, like Steven's got a real problem. He's got all this money invested in cameras that don't work with HomeKit. But, you know, mm-hmm. if you can't avoid it, you, you don't necessarily need it. And there is a product in the middle. Um, tell us about the hoobs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hoobs is so hoobs is um, basically they started out and created it, it kind of I think they 
it's their own version of Homebridge in a way. So it runs off of the same plugins as Homebridge, uh, but they've kind of added on to it a lot over the past couple of years. Um, but essentially, same concept. It runs the same plugins that Homebridge runs, but they offer a uh, a Hoobs box that you can buy uh, for those who maybe want to get started. That's actually how I got started. I kind of avoided Homebridge like for a while because I just like to keep my setup. I like to keep things super simple. I don't want to spend all weekend troubleshooting and tinkering with code if I don't have to. So I kind of avoided it. And it wasn't until Hoobs that I decided to go ahead and give it a shot. Um, and they offer this box, basically a Raspberry Pi, kind of all pre-configured. Uh, you plug it in, it's got hoops running on it. You can, you know, you don't have to set up or flash anything. Very easy. They do also offer pre-flashed SD cards and just the image. If you want to download hoops and, you know, set it up yourself, you can also do that. Um, but they've got some additional features in their latest version. They give you a little bit more than Homebridge, like the ability to run separate br uh, bridges for each plugin. That's a feature that I really like. Um, and I guess without going into too much detail, the reason is I've in the past I've installed plugins, you know, like I was saying, that aren't too great. And it kind of crashed my Homebridge setup and messed up everything with the ability to install you know, separate bridges for each plugin kind of isolates all your plugins. So you don't run into that issue. You can also do some cool things like with uh, the cameras and the dashboard there with hooves that you can't do with, uh, with Homebridge right now. Last I checked anyway. So just something else to look into. You might want to go the hoops route, might want to go Homebridge, just different options. Yeah. I mean, and a hoops device is $220. Whereas a Raspberry Pi is like 30, you know, I mean, it's a lot right. less money. Mm -hmm. But um, if you just kind of want something that's that does give you those extra features without having to go through the trouble, yeah. this is definitely an option. Yeah. And like I said, you if you want hoops, you can download it for free, essentially, and you can set it all up yourself just like you do with Homebridge. Yeah. But I know there are some people who would just rather pay 200 something dollars and not have to deal with the <laughs> deal with it at all. So for those, they have that option to buy the kind of pre-configured box also. Another sort of uh, pre-made product out there is the Starling Home Hub which when I was using mm -hmm. the Nest stuff, I had one of these in my network and it bridges your your Nest hardware into HomeKit. Um, and I think theirs is mostly a custom thing. Uh, their, their website, I was looking through it this morning before we recorded, uh, you know, they have a lot of information about privacy and how it works. Um, and it's a hundred bucks. So it's, it's cheaper than the Hoobs, but it does just a fraction of what those other things do. But if you just have some Nest cameras and you don't want to deal with Homebridge and these other things, this may be like another just sort of off the shelf solution. Yeah, I've heard good things about the Starling um, Starling Homebridge. I haven't used it personally because I don't have you know Nest. I don't have a lot of Nest products. Um, but like I said, I've heard really good things about it. And um, yeah, the the downside to that versus something like Homebridge or Hoops is that you only can can you know integrate nest products you can't do all that other stuff yeah. with like you can with the others this episode of mpu is made possible by squarespace the all-in-one platform to build your online presence and run your business from websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics squarespace has you covered 
They combine cutting-edge design and world-class engineering, making it easier than ever to establish your home online and to make your ideas a reality. They have everything you need to create a beautiful and modern website. You start with a professionally designed template and then use drag-and-drop tools to make your own. Customize the look and feel, the colors, the typefaces, the settings, the products, everything. Just a few clicks. And of course, all your work is automatically optimized for mobile, so your content is going to look great on any device. With Squarespace, there's nothing to patch or upgrade. You're not up in the middle of the night migrating to a new server because they just take care of all of that. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help at all. Their system lets you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. Plus, you get everything you need for SEO and email marketing. One of my favorite things about Squarespace is the ability to give your website new features over time. A client that I worked with here in Memphis a couple years ago, a nonprofit group, we built them a pretty uh, nice looking but pretty basic website a few years ago. And this year they launched a podcast. Well, gang, it was really easy to do that because we basically just turned on the module and now they're publishing a podcast on the website they've had for a couple of years. It wasn't big and expensive. It wasn't complicated because Squarespace makes all of that work really easy, both now and down the road. So head on over to squarespace.com MPU for a free trial with no credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code MPU to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com MPU. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for the show. Our thanks to Squarespace for the support of Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. Okay, gang, so we're back, and this show is obviously running long, and I feel like we're not even touching as much as we could on HomeKit. There's just so much to this. And Shane, thanks so much for sticking around with us longer today to share share some wisdom. Um I want to talk a little meta about HomeKit. Can I say meta anymore? Or does Facebook like own that? Am I allowed to say that? <laughs> yeah, I'm not it's, sure. It's unfortunate. <laughs> I don't want to get a letter from Mark Zuckerberg, but you know. <laughs> yeah, that, that might be copyrighted now. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Anyway, but but Shane, first of all, I just want to kind of go uh, now we'll get to the level five stuff. Tell us some of your crazy automations. I know you've got some really cool ones. And uh, just from the stuff you told me before the show, I'm going to be be copying several of these. <laughs> yeah, sure. So uh, honestly, you know, popular or uh, contrary to what a lot of people think, I honestly keep my setup as simple as I can just on a day in and day out basis. And my automations aren't really that crazy. And maybe that's because I have so many devices and I'm always testing and moving things around that it gets a little crazy anyways. Um, I'm not really sure, but I've, I think I just kind of always like to keep things simple, but I have done some of my, the crazier things I've done have probably been like for the YouTube channel, just to show people what you can do and give some cool examples um, there on the channel. Uh, one thing that I like, I just kind of like getting creative, I guess you can say um, with my automations. There is, you. we were talking about Akara earlier. Akara, Akara offers a, a little vibration sensor. I don't know if you've got one of those, uh, David, but they are pretty cool. Basically acts as uh, just as a motion sensor in HomeKit. So HomeKit just sees it as a motion sensor, but it's actually got the ability to detect um, tilt, drops, uh, vibration, and something else, I think. 
Um, but I've done some pretty fun little things with these. You can actually install one like underneath, a, I think on my channel, I did one, a demonstration where I installed it under a mantle, kind of hidden somewhere you normally wouldn't bump up against, you know, you don't want to accidentally trigger it, but you can put these in weird little places and then knock on the mantle and then trigger your lights you know, weird little things like that. <laughs> Rosemary uh, on Automators got one of those and she put it on the bottom of her chair because she would work and be so still that the lights would go off with a normal motion sensor. But the oh, vibration wow. of her sitting in a chair would keep the lights on. I thought that was clever. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's brilliant. I love it. Um, you can also use these, you know, for people who don't have uh, a, a smart doorbell or maybe you can't install one because you're renting or whatever you can actually put one of these on your door and just to, you might have to you know maybe some trial and error there but uh, you might be able to trigger automations based on somebody knocking on your door with something like this too you know yeah that's true I actually put one um, in, I think I showed this in the, in the video where if you don't have a smart doorbell because uh, there actually isn't many options for home kit anyways with that but you can actually just put one of these on your chime box if you have a regular doorbell super easy to do and then you can automate that because it'll vibrate that chime box will vibrate every time somebody rings your doorbell yeah so, i didn't never thought of that that's a good one yep i've done some stuff with uh, my washer and dryer uh, contact sensors and you can also use uh, let's see, smart plugs that detect um, power consumption. You can use those also for, you know, detecting when your washer and dryer, um, you know, stops running or whatever, and then trigger your lights to turn certain colors, you know, to let you know it's time to change the load or whatever. Uh, so that's kind of fun. You have to get a little creative with HomeKit with some of these things because we don't have you know, any smart washers that work in HomeKit, for example, you know, so we got to get a little creative when it comes to stuff like that. I like on the website for the vibration sensor, one of the options or like one of the examples is put it behind a valuable painting. It's like, okay, next time I'm worried about a painting that I own gets stolen, then HomeKit will be there for me. Well, I have two <laughs> Picassos, so I'm going to need two of them. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Get, <laughs> nice. a, get a two pack. Nice. Uh, these these are actually great for, I mean, you can often use a con just a regular contact sensor for, you know, cabinets and things like that. But uh, I actually used a vibration sensor on my, I have a beer refrigerator in my garage for many years uh, just to send me a notification when somebody opens that refrigerator. Uh, you know, when you got kids and teenagers and stuff at, at the yeah. house, that's that can be helpful. Put it on your liquor cabinet. Uh, you can get really creative with those little vibration sensors. Hey, hey, stay out of dad's beer. Like you should, <laughs> you need to combine right. that with like an alarm klaxon and like, you know, just scare the heck out of them when they open that door. Yeah. Yeah. You gave me an idea there too. I, I did one automation. I'll, I'll mention this real quick. It was pretty fun. It was a couple years ago, I, th I think where my kid was getting up in the middle of the night and he wasn't supposed to, and he'd come down and watch my, uh, he'd watch the Apple TV on the main uh, living room, I think because it had probably YouTube or something he didn't have access to otherwise. Anyways, wasn't supposed to be doing that. So I set up an automation that would trigger, how did I do this? Uh, it, it triggered the HomePod and I did, if you've ever like tweaked the HomePod series settings, you can like slow it down the voice dictation a lot to where it sounds real creepy. I don't know if you've ever tried that, but I triggered this automation to where Siri on the HomePod would 
come alive and and say you know something like you know you're not supposed to be here go back to bed and then it would turn <laughs> off all the lights and uh and it would turn off the tv and it would all happen when that tv was turned on between certain hours so that was kind of fun a little yeah. crazy it's because my kids are getting older now so we can talk about this stuff and like one of their friends was over talking about how they would sneak in the house at the middle of the night and their parents would never know they went out and my daughter said, it really sucks when your dad's a nerd. Because I had sensors oh. on everything. I have logs. I know when the door opens, you know. Oh, I know. <laughs> and, I know. I, I feel bad for my kids sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I know. My, I, I got away with so much more than they, they ever were allowed to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You have a vibration sensor and you have the word mailbox question mark. And I think that's a great idea. You can tell us what you were thinking about that. Yeah, uh, well, I, that was just another one that I tinkered around with. Um, as long as you can get the range, uh, obviously, you'll have to experiment there. But if you have enough range to get a sensor to your um, to your mailbox, again, the vib- you can use a contact sensor, but the vibration sensor is kind of good for this if you just stick it on like the inside of the flap because it can actually tilt. I mean, sorry, it can detect tilt, yeah. like I said. Um, so you can actually set up uh, a custom notification within the Acara app that says, you know, you've got mail or whatever, and it'll notify you every time it detects tilt. Again, it can also detect motion, you know, within HomeKit, so you can set other, you know, change the lights blue whenever you get mail, stuff like that. I'm going to try that because my my mailman is like the living embodiment of Newman from the Seinfeld show. He, uh, <laughs> he shows up when he feels like it. So, like, I might get my mail like seven at night. So, oh wow! But, but the problem is is range. My mailbox is a house. It's it's a house away from my house. So I don't know if I'll be able to mm. reach it. But. Yeah, and yeah, you'll have to kind of play with that again. Something like a car is probably going to be your best bet right now because they do have pretty good range, and Zigbee is is pretty good. So uh, you might have to strategically place a hub, you know, on the towards the front of the house or something. But you might be able to get that to work. Another fun one, sorry, I was going to mention is the, I have uh, an automation that turns on my, my light over my sink when I turn the sink on. Okay. So that's wait fun a second. If, <laughs> how, how are you doing that? <laughs> All you need is a home kit sink and, uh, or faucet, I should say. And they, they do sell them. There's not too many of them out there, but there's a few. Um, and I got one and, uh, and here, here's a good example too, of using those third-party HomeKit apps because I'm pretty sure the Home app doesn't allow you to set an automation based on a faucet turning on and off, but you can in one of those other apps. So, I know it would look a little odd, but I wonder if you could attach a motion sensor to the tap. I wonder if there's a way to do that without a HomeKit sync because I didn't even know there was such a thing. Yeah, yeah, there's a few of them. I have one by Kohler, and uh, it's pretty, it's pretty nice. So where is, as someone who spent so much time with HomeKit, Shane, you know, where is Apple getting it right with HomeKit? I mean, what are, what are the points about HomeKit you like the most? Well, uh, like we mentioned earlier, the privacy, um, they're definitely getting it right there. Uh, you know, um, they are very, it's very easy to use and get started. I, I think they've even tried to take some, some steps in the past year or two to make it even easier as far as um, some of the recommendations that you see in the home app. And I think there's even a discover tab that tries to educate you a little bit more. Um, so they're getting it right there. It's 
just so easy to use. I mean, I've talked to people who also use Amazon and the other, um, the other platforms regularly. And most of them agree that just the interface and everything is really nice in the home app and within HomeKit. It's kind of a, it's kind of a catch 22 there because, you know, like I said, we're limited with the home app, but then again, that interface is, uh, it's, it's very appealing in many ways also. Um, and, and like I said, at the time when I first started, you know, being able to integrate all those different devices into one place was really appealing. One of the reasons why I went with HomeKit and uh, just that ecosystem, you know, as a whole. I mean, Apple users, you guys all know the ecosystem is uh, is real. We all love it. And that applies with HomeKit too. You know, it just works across all of your Apple devices. You know, if somebody rings my doorbell, I get a pop-up video feed on my Apple TV, as well as notifications on my phone, or, you know, you can configure all that stuff. And just the ecosystem is really good. And I'm excited to see where they go uh, in the future with this. So where are they getting it wrong? I mean, what could they do better? You know, a lot of people would say that we need more product categories, which I can't argue with that. Uh, I, you know, Apple kind of takes the slow and steady approach. They're a little slow to compete, I think, with some of the other platforms, you know, uh, like we we did discuss earlier, a smart display, for example, you know, Amazon and Google both have some kind of smart display dashboard for your smart home. We still don't have a dedicated product like that, just things like that. I mean, it took, I know I was waiting for the HomePod mini you know, for like two years before it was ever even released. You know, I wanted one of those ever since the first HomePod was released, just because, you know, it just, I think HomeKit grew a lot with the release of, uh, or its use grew a lot with the release of the HomePod mini. It got into more homes, you know, so they need to do things like that to compete and to get HomeKit out there to more people, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I agree. Um, I, I get annoyed when I go out to like big box stores and you see all of this automation stuff and you don't see the home kit, you know, logo anywhere, especially yeah. when you consider the fact most of the people shopping there have an iPhone. It's like, yep. You know, yeah, that's, you know, marketing, I, I guess, um, you know, I, I'm with you. You go in there and you, there's a whole section for Amazon and then there's a whole section for the Google voice assistance, but there's no HomeKit. So a lot of people don't even know what HomeKit is if you say, you know, so maybe and maybe uh, in regards to marketing, maybe that's part of it. Maybe they need to rebrand it. You know, there's been some discussions, I think, in the past where rumors that they were going to change it to Apple Home or something like that. I don't know. I think they need to figure something to get it more to the masses. I don't, I don't know what that looks like. Uh, maybe just more resources, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I know people are joking about this in our forums, but I, one of my favorite things to do is to give away Tim Cook's job, you know? And uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to say, Tim, sorry, you're fired. Um, we're going to put Shane in your shoes for a couple days to manage home kit. So you've got, Absolute control, Shane. What are you going to do? Oh, man. Oh, man. Well, um, well, like we just mentioned, I would find a way to make uh, HomeKit a little more accessible and to everybody, whether that is getting into those big stores. Um, 
I don't know, just put, maybe we just need more resources at Apple working on HomeKit and the development there. Uh, bump up the marketing somehow, fix that a little bit, get more res- resources in there to expand on the functionality, get it working as reliably as we can and uh, in- increase the feature set. Something that I'd really like to see is um, like modes, different kind of modes, you know, like a home mode and away mode, um, different things like that native to HomeKit where you can kind of configure. That's not something we can do now. So I think like the security system and mode aspect needs a little bit of work or needs a lot of work actually in HomeKit. Uh, I really would love to see that. And aside from that, just more products. Um, out there to compete with the others. Like we said, smart home display, um, HomePod mini took forever. We just need to be able to compete a little bit with the others in order to get home kit to the masses. If I so, can just that's see what it. I would do. I can see <laughs> when Shane's in charge, suddenly every episode of Ted Lasso has Ted using home kit. Every episode. <laughs> yes, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> hey lady, lock the door. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Well, Shane, thank you so for being so generous with your time today. And honestly, this this channel you've made is a treasure. Uh, if you're listening to the Mac Power users, you're going to be interested in Shane's YouTube channel because he goes deep on HomeKit and he's got content there, whether you're at level one or level five of this stuff, and he can bring you along the way. Um, I'm a fan, Shane, and, and thank you for everything you've been uh, sharing with the community over there at your uh at your uh, channel, it's Shane Creates, right? Did I get that from memory? Yes, Shane Creates on YouTube. Yep, yep, yep. Shane Creates. You could just look up my name, Shane Watley, too. And thanks so much for having me. It's been a blast just uh, being here and talking with you guys. I appreciate you uh, bringing me on and uh, letting me nerd out a little bit about HomeKit. All right, and the uh, bonus uh, content today, we're going to be talking to Shane about his video setup and workflow. Um, otherwise, thanks for listening, and uh, we're the Mac Power users. Thank you for our sponsors, and that's our friends over at 1Password, TechExpander, Electric, and Squarespace. See you next time.